So God can move out there just like he can move in here. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and pray and get to the word. Y'all ready? Lord, we thank you so much for your presence, your precious Holy Spirit among us. But Lord, also we know we, we need your word. As a pastor, my heart is to see the rivers of, of the Spirit of God refresh and come, and, but also that we have the, um, the food of the word that we need tonight. So Lord, I pray that your word get in us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. I know tonight in different points, some of this may be different. Some of it uh, may be um, hard to hear a little bit of conviction. But Lord, I just pray for the grace to help us all to have good fertile soil. And that your word will go out as living seeds of truth sown into that good fertile soil, watered by the Spirit. And that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest in us of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let your word go out as the washing of the water of the word of God. Let the word go out, Lord, as light shining and dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception, all the ungodly religion and the stuff that's not the Lord. Just dispel that with the light of truth. And Lord, bring your truth, bring revelation. And I'm asking you, Lord, for a special grace tonight that the Holy Spirit will help all of us to get captivated to give you our best ear, our, our full attention, that our minds be able to be focused on what you're speaking to us, Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and ears, because many times we read those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear tonight, and to be good soil, that this word will go forth and bear fruit. Lord, we thank you, and we bind anything. The enemy would try to steal the seed or try to hinder. We just let that be bound right now in Jesus' name, break its power. That is not going to influence anything. But, Lord, let your word go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen. All right, so tonight the Lord laid on my heart a sermon about being in one accord and how important that is. And I'm going to deal with several different things through this sermon that I believe will really touch people tonight. But it's also going to be a little bit convicting, but I'm coming at this talking to Christians. I'm not really talking about the lost because I know that the, the lost don't know any better. And I'm going to tell you something. When people, when I go out witnessing, I don't look at anything in their life. I don't care if they're a witch. I don't care if they're a gang member. I don't care what their background is. Jesus loved them. Jesus died for them just like he did for me. Nobody's better than nobody. And I go up and talk to everybody, witness to people, love them. And they feel that. I remember one time, Brother Zach and I were witnessing at Hollywood and there was some guy that just got out of prison and got off that bus and he was hardcore and you could tell by looking at him as soon as I saw him I just brought to him you know and um, started talking to him and at first he seemed pretty hard but man he broke the Holy Spirit just really touched him and he was really open to what I had to say people can tell if you love them and people can tell if you care you know if you if you come at it the right way so anyway but I'm dealing with this sermon I'm dealing with Christians I'm not dealing with the lost, okay? So this is a, a different type of sermon. All right, so Acts 1.14 is going to be kind of the text that I base this on. But the Bible says they, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, I'm going to tell you, it is vitally important that we understand one accord. Okay, so y'all, y'all just look this way. Give me your best ear tonight. Because this is the thing that Satan is after the most. 
Y'all please hear me because I feel this is a very serious subject tonight. I have been in this region for years in different capacities. And I'm going to tell you that the spiritual warfare in this region has to do with religion and it has to do with witchcraft in the church. And I'm just telling you, that's not debatable. That's the way it is. And I've seen all this stuff where Satan is trying to divide God's people and all the weird stuff going on. I believe this. If somehow, if Satan's kingdom has some kind of strategy room in hell, like the Pentagon in hell, okay? (laughs) Wherever the Pentagon that's in hell down there, where they have blackboards and they strategize against God's people, which I do believe they strategize. But where these things take place, in the heavenlies and down in hell, whatever, I'm going to tell you in the top you know, two, three, four categories of what Satan wants more than anything else is to divide God's people and keep God's people divided. Because he knows that if he can divide people and the people of God do not come together, he knows that they're never going to amount to much. And I believe as I go through this sermon, it's going to be eye-opening in some ways. All right. But the Bible says that they continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. One accord comes from the Greek word homothumadon, however you say that. And what it means, the thumadon part, is the mind. And so it has to do, the homo, the the Greek there is one, like the, the same kind. And they're saying here in the Greek to have one mind, unanimous. But I believe it goes deeper than that. Because when you pray together, you're not just coming in one mind, but you're also one in the spirit. And some of you know what I'm talking about. And the early church knew what it was like to be in one accord. That's why things happen like it did in the early church. That's why the book of Acts, I believe that the day of Pentecost had a lot to do with them being in one accord. They came together and unified in prayer to prepare themselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, we need Book of Acts Christianity. We need biblical Christianity, where people are truly getting saved. I'm tired of religious stuff, where people are just saying some prayer. People are just going through the motions. People think that they're saved just because they go to church or just because their parents are Christian or just because they said some little prayer or something. No, it is a new birth. How many knows that Christianity is a born-again experience? The Spirit of God gives you a new birth, a conversion within. You have a different heart. You're a different person. And if you're a different person on the inside, 1 John 3, 7 through 10 says the seed of God is in you and you cannot continue to live in sin because the spirit of God is in you, the seed of God is in you. That's what the Bible says. And what the problem is, is that a lot of people are not truly having these new birth experiences. It's just a religious experience. I'm serious. It's a problem. And this is what happens when the spirit of God is not moving. Because Jesus said, no man can come unto me unless the Father draw him. And the Father draws by the Spirit of God. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to get the job done when you get a bunch of people together and you're just entertaining them and you're just giving them lattes, which I like coffee, and you're just doing all this stuff that's a social club and it's just religion. The best you're going to get is them mentally agreeing with you. That's the best you're going to get. You're certainly not going to get a new birth. 
But it's the Spirit of God that will come in and He will convict the sinner. He will draw them. And there can be a born-again experience, but it has to come by the Spirit of God convicting people. That's why Acts 1.8, Jesus basically told them, He said, guys, listen, you better go wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Don't just go out of here and start doing things. You go wait till you're clothed with power. Then you'll be my witnesses. And I'm going to tell you something else. People are looking for the real. They're looking to experience God. And people need an encounter with God. I believe that. Not just that they hear about Him, but they encounter His power. You know, I've heard people say things they, they don't know. They don't know the Bible. Something is hindering them, blinding them to it. Where they can't see the power of God coming down in Scripture or something, but they'll say things like, where does people fall? Are you kidding me? You realize that every time Jesus showed up, listen, whenever Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, what happened to Paul? He was thrown to the ground. He was blinded. He had an encounter with the risen Christ. And this hard man this, that had a murderous spirit about him, had a calloused heart, he was religious, he became one of the most sincere followers of Jesus Christ and wrote part of the New Testament. Are you hearing me? But it took him having an encounter with Christ, not just hearing about him. He knew who he was. And I'm concerned because... I see that the church in this area, uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let me just get into this and I'll get to it. Divide and conquer. Satan's number one goal is to divide. Divide God's people. And there's witchcraft in the church. All right, so here we go. Mark 3.24 says, If a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Satan knows the Bible. He knows that God's people, if they're divided, that kingdom cannot stand. That's why a lot of churches cannot make spiritual advances. In Hebrews thirteen seventeen, says to obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch over your souls as they may, or they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not grief, for that's unprofitable to you. You know, there's unfortunately a lot of pastors that their churches, there's, there's troublemakers there, there's people that are always causing division and problems. And the pastor, when he should be praying and seeking God and hearing from God, he's having to run around putting out all these fires. He's having to deal with all this stuff, all this hurtful stuff. And it's unprofitable for that church because he doesn't have the time to, deal, to get with God and really take that short church somewhere powerfully in God. He's just going around having to solve problems. And for that church, if they would come together Man, if they would come together in prayer and unify, what type of awesome spiritual advances could take place? But here is witchcraft in the church. Galatians 5, around verse 19, it talks about the deeds of the flesh. Y'all follow me, okay? The deeds of the flesh. And it says that the deeds of the flesh are things lasciviousness and all this sin it lists out but one of the things it says is witchcraft so this is witchcraft of the flesh it's a work of the flesh a lot of people think of witchcraft they think of the dark arts and that's part of it too but then you have the other side then you have revelation 21 verses around 8 through 10 
which talks about those that will not inherit the kingdom. It says these will be cast in the lake of fire. And it talked about liars and all these sort of things. But in that, it mentions sorcerers and those that practice the dark arts. So we know that sorcery and those that practice the dark arts with the spell casting and, and, and all the incantations and rituals and witchcraft, we know that that is the dark arts, the occult, the demonic side of witchcraft. But there's also this witchcraft of the flesh. You know what the witchcraft of the flesh is through the scriptures? There's a couple things. But it has to do with manipulation. It has to do with intimidation. It has to do with ungodly control. Are you all hearing me? And we know a Jezebel spirit. You guys are familiar with these things. But here, I can't dwell on this too long. But here's what you're dealing with. Number one, you're dealing with things being out of order. God is the one that's supposed to be putting people in authority. But what you have most of the time, and, and I'm not criticizing anybody, but in a lot of different denominations or different circles, you have people that come into positions of authority because they have charismatic personalities, because they have money, because they have the right friends, because they have the right connections, because of all these different reasons, but it's certainly not God that put them there. And it's illegitimate authority. And the sad thing is some of them deceive themselves, and I personally know people, that they've come into positions of authority, and there's nothing absolutely apostolic whatsoever about them, but they'll call themselves apostolic because they're in an office overseeing things. But they got there through politics. And I love them. I'm not mad at them, but it's just the truth. God does not operate through politics. That's the world system. God anoints people, and he mantles people, and he appoints people, and he gifts people, and he puts them places. But one of the things about witchcraft is this. It's illegitimate authority where man is putting the people in authority they want and those people don't have an anointing. They don't have a grace or a gifting to be doing it and it turns out to be control. Let me tell you, whenever God has really anointed you and mantled you and put you somewhere, you never have to turn to any type of witchcraft control manipulation because you have God's invested authority in you. That's the first problem, disorder. The second problem is division. You've got people. I'm going to tell you, Steve Hill basically, I mean, he didn't come. He wasn't dead, but he was on his deathbed with hospice. And God raised him up out of that. And he came back with a prophetic word. God has spoke to him, and he wrote that book on avalanche. I don't remember the name of it, but I really recommend you get it. But he said in there, spiritual avalanche, he said in the book that there's, in these last days, he's seen Judas's and Jezebel's everywhere. And how Satan is trying to release that through the church and he's trying to divide God's people. Judas's and Jezebel's everywhere. That's what he said. And I've seen it. There's betrayal. The Bible says in the last days that people will hate one another, their love will go cold, and there'll be all this betrayal going on. That's what the Bible says. And Satan's goal is to divide. And there has to be dealing with these things in love. And I'm going to deal with ungodly leadership at the end of this, okay? But right now I'm dealing with the other realm. But there has to be a dealing with this in love but firmness. You cannot tolerate a Jezebel spirit. If you tolerate that witchcraft in a church or in a home, it will destroy Jezebels, a lot of them don't mean to, but they will destroy themselves. They will destroy their husbands. They'll release a lot of destruction in their kids, and they'll destroy churches. And the whole time, they think that they're the victim, 
and the male authority is the bad guy. The whole time. They're totally deceived. God's got to deal with these root issues. Let me park here for a moment. God's got to dig down in people. I've seen people that get touched in revival. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but I've seen people get touched. And in their case, it's no more than an emotional experience. But I've seen other people that it revolutionized their whole life. But God is wanting the touch of the Spirit of God to get beyond just our emotional realm. And He wants to get down in us and give us new hearts and change who we are. And what needs to happen, unfortunately, with a lot of this Jezebel stuff, most of them never repent, and the Bible says that. Revelation 2.20, I gave her space to repent. She did not. I had to cast her on a bed of suffering and kill her children. It's a destruction. God's got to deal strong with this. When you read the Old Testament, sometimes in Jezebel, the dogs have to lick their blood because there has to be judgment because there's no repentance. It's not that what Jesus did wasn't enough. The cross is enough. But they don't submit all the way to the Lord and let him dig the stuff out of them. They get offended and they go to the next place and do their same garbage there. So here's what we got to do. We got to let God get down into the roots in us. Pride is a root. People that have a pride issue, they will be deceived and they have, they'll be easily offended and they don't want to listen to nobody. But pride is one of those roots that if we'll really submit to God in prayer and fasting and humble ourselves and let him dig down in there, he can dig that root out. But see, these things go back to the fallen man. The reason Adam and Eve fell was one of the reasons was because Eve, the devil told her, you'll be like God. That's the pride of life. It was pride that was sown into the human race. And everybody has a tendency to be prideful on some level, some people more than others. But you have to let God dig that pride out of us and become a humble person. Not false humility, where you go around with your head down, acting all insecure and stuff like that. That's not true humility. You're bold, but you're humble. You give God the glory, and there's no insecurities and weirdness in us. The second one is rebellion. Some people, again, back to the fall, they rebelled against God. But that's in the human race. Some people deal with rebellion more than others. And you need, people can ask themselves, how about your past? Have you had a history of being rebellious towards your parents? Or whatever, toward authority figures, there's this rebellious streak. But see, some people, they come to the Lord and they deal with this stuff and they have this rebellious streak in them and God needs to get down in there and dig that out of them. And the third one is fear. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they went and hid from God and there was this fear that was there. The same thing, there's a fear in people that causes them to control. That's a lot of time the root of control. They don't trust people. Um, They want to be in control. They can't submit to anybody. They're afraid to, and they're rebellious, and they're controlling, and it goes back to a root of fear and rebellion. Let God get down in all of us and dig out these roots. So many people are cutting away fruit and branches, but they need to let the ax get to the root in them and deal with this stuff. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that these things will get dug out of us. We can't change ourselves. This is where God's grace comes in. As we submit to him, the Spirit of God can dig that junk out of us and give us a new heart and change us. And the last one is dishonor and disrespect. This is where people are so dishonoring and disrespectful to God, to his people, to his word. Man, 
I've, I've seen people, they'll sit back and laugh and mock at things. You couldn't pay me to sit back and laugh and mock at the Holy Spirit, the holy things of God. I would be afraid. And God is merciful up to a point, but also with leadership. When I go around people, I go, I minister with other pastors or whatever, and I'm, I'm Sam in front of their congregation. I always make it a point to be very honoring and build them up and compliment them and honor them in front of their people. I am not going to go somewhere with a chip on my shoulder and be dishonoring and disrespectful to another pastor in front of his family or in front of his church members. I'm not doing it. God wants us to show proper honor and respect. And dishonor and disrespect goes back to a Jezebel spirit. It goes back to that witchcraft in the church. So here's what happens. Satan is wanting to keep God's people from being productive and being able to come together and unify. So he begins to work really hard to try to cause there to be the wrong people raised up in positions of authority. He's wanting to cause division everywhere he can. And then people showing dishonor and disrespect toward God, his house, and his leaders. I'm going to tell you, my parents, when I was growing up, I don't remember one time, and I say this before God and you, I don't remember one time around a dinner table that my parents or any of us ever ran down a preacher or ran down a church. Man, you're talking about sin. I've, I've seen kids that grew up with parents like that, and they don't even go to church now because they don't have any respect for God or God's people or God's leaders because their whole life, all they heard was a bunch of garbage about them. And my parents weren't the type to be church hoppers. I mean, we went from one church, we were there, till we geographically moved and we couldn't go there anymore, went to another church. And I went to two churches my whole life growing up. And they would plug into that place and they would devote themselves to that house. And because of that, there's stability. There's stability in their walk, there's stability in my walk, there's stability in my brothers, because we grew up that way. We didn't bounce all over the place. We weren't offended everywhere. Go somewhere, get offended, rebel, cause problems. Forget that. I never saw that stuff until I got older and I saw their people do it. And I was like, man, what is going on with these people? But it's, it's witchcraft in the church. Religious control in politics where people want to manipulate and have their way. I don't have time for it anymore. I really believe that we're living in the last days and we don't have time to fuss and fight about what the color of the carpet needs to be. The, I'm not really trying to be funny. I've seen it. And, uh, you know, whether or not there needs to be a chandelier or whatever, it's like, man, who cares? There's literally people out there right now that if they die tonight are going to hell. Right out there, you can open the door and look out and see people. And they're going to fight about the carpet. God operates through true authority. And God invests a certain amount of wisdom with leaders that needs to be respected. And I'm going to tell you something about iniquity drives. Satan, it says in the Bible that he was made so beautiful but until iniquity was found in him. But the iniquity found in Lucifer was this. He was lifted up with pride. I don't have time to ravage on this, but... He was, many people, many scholars believe, he's an anointed cherub. He was one of those cherubim that he probably stood like behind and above God and led worship to God. But at some point in time, he began to look at himself, how beautiful he was, and he was lifted up in pride, and he wanted that worship for himself. And I wonder today, with iniquity drives in people, Satan said, I will 
ascend unto God's throne. He wanted to be his throne above God's. And he said, I will ascend above the stars. Was it Isaiah 14, I believe? I'll ascend above the stars. You know what that is? The stars represent the other angels. He was saying, I want to be above my peers. See, there's these iniquity drives in people, personal ambitions, where they want to make a name for themselves. They want to be lifted up above others. They want to be, be able to look down on others. They have different iniquity drives about making money or about fame or about fortune or whatever it is, having a big church, a big ego. But it's not about any of that. And God's got to dig all that junk out of people's hearts. We want a move of God, and I want it more than anybody else. But I'm smart enough to know that God is wanting to deal with people's hearts first and foremost. And he's got to get this junk out of everybody. He's not going to move where people are full of selfish ambition and pride and they're going to prostitute his name and they're, they're going to use that move of God to glorify themselves and to lift themselves up. He's not going to do that. He wants all that stuff to get purged out of our hearts. I've tried to talk to some other ministers and my wife knows and I tried to tell one guy in particular about this. I saw it in him and he agreed with me but he never really let God get down in there and dig it out. And it ended up being the downfall in many ways because that iniquity drive in him turned him toward things that were not the will of God for his life. Those iniquity drives are strong. You've got to let God pull that out of you. Some people have a lot of ambition and stuff in them, and it may even be down the bloodline. I don't know where it got in, but they've got something in them, and they need to let God crucify that. You know what God is interested in? He's not interested in all of us having a big puffed-up ego and self-esteem. God's not interested in our self-esteem. Here's what he's interested in, that we be crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, but Christ living through us. And all this old junk in all of us is killed and dead and gone. And here's another thing. There's an awesome protection in spiritual covering. When people come into a church and, they, and they, it's a powerful church, a praying church, there is a covering over all of us, like a dome of God's covering, his protection, his blessing. And we may not always understand everything or agree with everything because we don't know all the facts. Let me tell you, as, as a minister, I, there's nothing going on. There's no reason for me to be singing. There's nothing going on. I'd tell you if I needed to. There's nothing like that. God, the Holy Spirit, just put on my heart to talk about these things because we, as we grow and get more and more people, God's wanting this to be a healthy place, a safe place. Amen? All right, so how many would say this? I'm not saying this facetiously or to be a smart like I'm being sincere. How many would say, Pastor, the truth is I don't always know everything? Amen? All right. I'm not being funny. I'm being sincere. Pastor, I don't, I, don't always, I don't always see everything all the time. I really don't. And so, there's a lot of times with leadership that we have to deal with things behind the scenes that people don't know about. And I don't ever, ever want to air anybody's personal business. Okay? So we keep things really quiet. But sometimes we have to deal with things, and it's difficult, but we have to deal with it. And as we do... We need as leadership people to, to trust us about these things, okay? And I'm going to tell you, the times when God has come with an increase of his presence, there's been three times, and my elders will verify this, there's been three times when God's presence increased substantially in our ministry. The first one was when I dealt with some compromising sin in some people. They rebelled against me. They left offended. They took other people with them, and God's spirit got poured out here. 
But I wasn't going to tolerate it. I wasn't going to put up with and wink at it and go along with it. God sees that. And the second time, I had to do the same thing. I had to deal with somebody. I took his board, my board. (laughs) We went to him in love. He agreed with everything I said and went out and did the opposite. Rebelled against me, and I had to dismiss him. And after I did, I hated it. I didn't want to do it. But after I did, the Spirit of God fell hard in here and increased. And even, you know, not too terribly long ago, I had to deal with it again. I deal with some division. And that person left, and what happened? Now, an increase coming again. (laughs) People may not understand this, but being in charge is not always fun. And it's not always easy. But I'm going to tell you something. As a pastor, if you wink at sin and you tolerate sin in the camp, God will leave. I'm just telling you, he will. He expects that we love people and, and we're, we're not judgmental, we're not mean, we love everybody, we want to help people. But when there's unrepentant sin in the camp and the people are not going to change, they're not going to repent, he expects leadership to deal with them. And if they won't deal with them, he says, you know what, I can't use them. And you see it in the scripture. I remember, uh, I believe it's First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter five, where the immoral man was having sex, and there was sin in the in the camp. There, he was having sex with like a stepmother or something. And Paul said, "Expel that immorality out of your midst." He said, "A little bit of leaven will work through the whole batch of dough. You've got to get that out of your midst. That's in the Bible. Why isn't that being preached today? Listen to me. I say this with love, but if some people came in and they're not saved and they get saved. You have to be patient with all of that. They're going to have sin in their life. Of course they are. We did too. And God's going to clean them up. But when you're dealing, I'm talking about Christians tonight, people that are saved, people that know better. Whenever they're living in sexual immorality and the leadership knows about it and they refuse to deal with it, y'all hear me good. If they don't deal with it, there's going to be sexually unclean spirits that are coming begin to move in that church. And some of the strong people in the church, it may not affect them, but what about your kids? Do you want a safe place? I do. Then you have to be willing to deal with some of this stuff. And Matthew 18 talks about going to people in private, talking to them, then, then um, you know, taking witnesses. And if you have to, take it before the church. I had a dear friend. My wife and I were coming back through town. And I had told him about somebody. I said, listen, you need to be real careful with this woman. There really is a Jezebel spirit. I don't use that term lightly. But this, this woman was. And I could go into a long thing about that. And I just said it to him and I left. And he didn't listen to me. But you know, she began to cause a lot of problems in that church. She had an adulterous affair on her husband. And somehow, this is how these things work. Somehow, she convinced the people that it was his fault because he she she went to him and said she was struggling and he told her what to do repent cut off everything but she said because she went to him it was his fault that it happened she blamed him she didn't just split the church down the middle she took like about nine tenths of the people he had to start completely over and the thing was that his spiritual authority his apostolic authority came to him met with her and told him He said, you've gone to her in private, and now you've taken witnesses. And his authority told him, 
take her before the church and kick her out. There's no repentance. And he didn't do it. And she liked to destroy that church completely. He had to start over with a small group and build from ground up. But God loves people and he wants people to repent. But not everybody is willing to repent. Not everybody is really willing to get this stuff, these roots dug out of them. And I don't know about you, but I want this to be a safe place for the Holy Spirit to move in power. I want it to be a safe place for little children. I want it to be a safe place for teenagers. And I want it to be a safe place for married couples. I don't want people to come in here and there's some strange spirit and some weird stuff going on because the pastor wouldn't deal with it. And here's the thing. Some of you guys are called into the ministry. I don't know what all you're going to take away from our ministry as you center in it, but I want you to remember this. When I die, I'm going to stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. None of y'all are going to be there. My wife won't be there. It's going to be me and him. This sermon will be brought up. How I lived my life will be brought up. What I preached and what I didn't preach will be brought up. Whether or not I was willing to deal with stuff or not deal with stuff will be brought up. We have to live with eternity in mind. You see what I'm saying? What's it going to be like for the preachers that knew the truth and refused to tell people? All right, so now let me shift gears. So with that said, let's all pray earnestly because I have seen in this region that there's a stronghold or has been of religious witchcraft. Religion, a religious spirit. A religious spirit causes people to be lukewarm, compromised. They're not on fire for God. They don't have a burden for souls. They're not, um, you know, they're not pursuing some greater move of God. They're just simply just stuck in their little spiritual rut. It also causes people to be critical and judgmental of others and be divisive. Then you've got the witchcraft in the church where you've got ungodly control. That has formed a stronghold. And what I've seen in this region, around this region, is that there's been so much weird religious witchcraft control and weirdness that so many ministries have been divided and they're competing and there's weird stuff going on and and it's caused the Spirit of God to not move. And here we are living in the last days. All right, so let me shift gears real quick about this. In 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous, fierce times will come. The word perilous can be translated fierce. So these times, I believe, are upon us. I believe we're living in these times, okay? I've done a big series. I, I consider myself to be somewhat of a student of Bible prophecy, and I've done a like a 30-part series on our website about the end times. And after all of that, I would safely say, and I think everybody would agree with me, that we're living in the last days. But if we're living in the last days, let's read some scriptures together about this. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Are we seeing people depart from the faith today? Are we seeing people that used to be a Christian, that's now an atheist, that's now a homosexual, that's now a witch, Or whatever else, yes. And listen to what it says. 
giving heed to or listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving spirits are seducing spirits. They seduce people away from Christ. They seduce people away from the gospel. And doctrines of demons. And what we're seeing today is that there's strange things that are creeping into the church world. Y'all bear with me because you may want to kind of, your toes just kind of curl up because I'm, I'm coming, okay? So right here it is. This is where toes get stepped on, but about the worldliness. Paul talked about, in the Bible, you can look this up, he said that there's a spirit of the world. Now this is interesting. The spirit of the world. Did you know that not only is there worldliness out there, but did you know that there's a spirit of worldliness? There's a spirit that will try to bring worldliness into a church. Is this making sense? There's a spirit behind the world. And the Bible says those words, the spirit of this world. So what I have seen is that many churches now are allowing things in the way of worldliness to come in. And they don't realize it, but when they allow all this worldliness to come in, then what's going to come in with the worldliness is the spirit of the world. And that is a seducing spirit that comes in and wants to seduce people away from Jesus Christ. Where now, there's just entertainment and it's just a social club. And I've seen... See, my wife and I, and I'm sure many of you here, but my wife and I's past before Christ, B.C., right, was alcohol, drugs, tobacco, sexual immorality, and all of that, partying. Why in the world, now that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, why in the world would I want to go back to the bars and the clubs and the tobacco and the alcohol, and the drugs, and, and, and whatever else, whether it be sleeping around or pornography. Why would I want to go back to the past that Jesus delivered me out of? But see, there's a worldliness that's coming into the church that people are allowing it in, and the spirit of the world coming into these churches where now the worship is entertainment. Not only is it a social club, but you can't tell across the board any real difference between people that say they're a Christian and people that are not a Christian because they're a lifestyle. And I have witnessed to these people throughout this whole region and they'll say things like, well, you know, I see all these people that say they're a Christian, but they're no different than me. And I say this with love and I, I need to say this, but the only people that are going to be in heaven are people that really truly know Jesus. And if they really, truly know Jesus, they're different. Their life is going to reflect that. I'm just telling you the truth. Why is it that some people refuse to say that? There's churches and ministries that refuse to say things like that. And people are out there, they're living a life of sin. They're having sex outside of marriage. You know, they're, they're getting drunk, they're getting high, they're partying, they're going to things on the weekend or whatever. And then they're coming to church and they're just getting entertained. Man, we're going to be accountable for those people. And they could be saved. But what's happening is, is that there's 
seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, the Bible says right there, that are telling people, hey, you can be backslid, you can live in sin, you're still going to go to heaven, everything's just fine, just like you are. In your worldliness, everything's fine. That's doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. And I'm here to say not everything is fine. I believe God has a revival for, for this region. I really do. You guys that are remnant here that know, you know the prophecies over this ministry and you know who they came from. And I'm telling you by the Holy Spirit that the Lord is going to come down in this region. I don't know what he's going to do everywhere else, but y'all better hear me. He's going to drive his scepter in the ground and he's going to crack something open. And there is a harvest that God has for River of Life. You hear me just as soon as I'm standing here. And he's going to bring them in. And it's just going to be just like when Peter and them were fishing and they fished all night and they just caught a couple of fish or whatever and he showed up and said, cast your net on the other side. It's going to be that. It's going to be God doing it. And he's got a revival for this ministry. I'm just telling you, as soon as, I mean, just as much as you see me standing here, as real as this is, that is on the horizon. And the Bible says another thing, I need to go through this now quickly, but Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together as some are in the manner of doing, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The Bible seems to indicate as we see the day approaching the latter days that the tendency would be for people to forsake church, to forsake assembling together. You know what the Bible's saying here is that as you see the day approaching, you need it more now than you ever did. People don't realize how vulnerable that they are. Let me say this. I was reading a book by a man named John Ramirez. And he was, a, he was a, basically a witch doctor, a shaman, to make it real simple. He was really involved in Santeria, and he was very powerful in it. And people were scared of him. People, his peers were scared of him. He was a weird dude, okay? I read his book. And... Um, Listen, though, he said that at some point he realized that he was not just worshiping Catholic saints. He realized that he was communicating with demons and with Satan, so he gave his life fully to Satan. And his goal was to recruit people into this and to destroy Christians. So he would go out, and he said if he met real Christians, he couldn't hurt them. Because they were living the life and all that. He couldn't hurt them. He tried. But he said he would go into the bars and the clubs where the fake Christians were. And he said those people, while they were sitting here drinking and, and smoking and living like they were, he said those people, he wreaked a lot of havoc in their life. There is a protection when we're, when we're living a righteous life and our lives are hid with God in Christ. Amen? But if people are going to choose to live in a sinful life, they don't realize it, but they're opening themselves up to spiritual attacks that are very unnecessary. The Bible also warns us that because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew or vomit you. That means vomit in the Greek, out of my mouth. So lukewarmness makes the Lord nauseous. But see, here's the thing. There's people in these last days, because of the heavy, the, the, the weight of all the spiritual uh, darkness that's on the earth, that the tendency will be lukewarm 
to be lukewarm, but that's why God is going to pour out his spirit and send great revival where people are hungry because he's going to set us on fire and he's going to help us to burn for him. But there's going to be a tendency for people to be lukewarm because of how difficult the times are that we're coming into. And spiritually, they're already difficult. We need a move of God. We need a church that's on fire for God and we need each other. And the Bible says in Matthew 24, 19, and I realize this is talking about the abomination that causes desolation as people flee. I understand that, okay? But I want to show you what I believe Jesus is kind of a metaphor here. He says, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers when they have to flee from Israel. I believe that the metaphor here that Jesus is implicating is that for pastors and churches that are having a bunch of spiritual babies that never grow up, and they're just nursing babes that in these end times, it's going to be very difficult for them. It's going to be difficult for the leaders, and it's going to be difficult for the church people. God wants us to not be on milk the rest of our lives, but to get on to meat and start growing up. Ephesians 4.9 says, Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth, which is what I talked about last week where he went down and took those people up out of paradise, remember? He who descended is himself also he who ascended above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. He gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What? For the equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building up of the body until we all reach what? Unity. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, here it is, we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of man craftiness. I have seen so much of this. Every time a new wind of doctrine comes, all these people are just, whoa. I've sat there in meetings where I'm looking at this person preaching and they're saying some really good stuff, but there'll be some stuff I'm like, man, come on. And there's just people just glazed over. Yeah, there's every little wind of doctrine. They're just back and forth, back and forth. Listen, when we get roots down in the word of God for ourselves, we need to know the Bible for ourselves. When we develop a prayer life and we know the Lord, we know his Holy Spirit, we know his presence and we know his voice, we're not going to be so easily duped by all the stuff going on. People say, I believe the Bible. Okay. The Bible says in the last days that there would be false teachers, false prophets, seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, and people falling away from the faith. Do you still believe the Bible? Then that means it's going on now. And we've got to be grounded in something for ourselves that we're not going to be duped by everything that comes through. Not everything that goes on out there is God. All right, the importance of unity. Jesus said, if two will agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it will be done for them. If we really meditate on that scripture, think about it. Jesus, did he say, I say to you, if two agree on earth is touching some things, I'll do it. What did Jesus say? If you agree touching anything, I'll do it. 
Did everybody catch what I'm saying? Not some things, everything. So what Jesus is trying to teach us is, is that if I can just get people to unify, then they're going to be able to see incredible things when they pray. And Satan knows that just as well, and that's why he's trying to divide. We know one can chase a thousand, two, ten thousand. We realize that whenever we start unifying, there's an exponential increase of spiritual authority and power over the darkness and to release the kingdom of God in the earth. I'm focused on what the Lord's doing in these last days, not on what the devil's doing, but I'm not ignorant of his devices. In Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity, like the precious oil that flows down Aaron's head, his beard, onto his garments. The anointing oil flows down. It's like the dew from Hermon coming down on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded his blessing. So you see, when we come together in unity, one accord, we're unified in mind, but we're unified in prayer in the spirit. That's where God commands his blessing. That's where the anointing oil flows. But the only way that's going to be able to be there is if leadership is willing to deal with things that are not right, to protect. Does anybody in here want a pastor that's going to let the wolf in to sleep with the sheep and think everything's going to be okay tomorrow? So there has to be some protection going on, but at the same time, we want the Holy Spirit to come do what he wants to do. Not trying to control God and not trying to control people, but just simply trying to pastor right and do the right thing and be biblical. And we can see in Scripture the Tower of Babel, that even when Satan's kingdom tried to unify God saw that they were going to be successful. So what did God do? God came down and confused their speech and divided them. So even Satan's kingdom has to have unity to be able to make spiritual advances. When we unify, there can be great spiritual advances. There can be major answers to prayer and significant revival and harvest. So my question is, River of Life, will we unify? Will we really come in one accord together and keep it that way? Will we guard ourselves and say, come hell or high water, I'm not going to get offended with anybody. You know, I'm not going to be judgmental, critical of others. There may be honestly times, and I'm not trying to be funny, that, that somebody in here may have a bad day and they rub the, you know, the other person the wrong way. Or are we just going to love each other? Or are we going to get all bent out of shape and start, you know, getting a group over here talking bad about this guy? And then he gets his little group talking about this person. Pretty soon there's this group over here that love each other but hate the ones over here. And the ones over here love each other, hate the ones over here. If that happens, God's not going to move anymore. Or are we just going to love each other and forgive each other and just work it all out and realize that, you know, I'm going to tell you something. In secular workplaces, nobody will put up with any of that anyway. So you don't see that. Because, I mean, managers will come in and go, like, get it together or you're fired. You know, I mean, if you can't get along, I'll let you go. I'll get people that can't. But see, in church world, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) But now let me flip this whole thing to, to deal with weird leadership because I haven't seen a lot of this, but I do know it's out there, and this is how I want to close. Cultish, oppressive leadership. God has called us to be strong. As Christians, he's called leaders to be strong, but not oppressive. There's a difference, okay? And Revelation 2.6 says, But I, you have this in your favor, that you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
The practice of the Nicolaitans was two things. One was they were teaching strange doctrines that they got from the Gnostics. The Gnostics were people that were really into the Greek philosophy. Everything had to be confusing and complicated. So whenever they saw the simplicity of the gospel and the Bible, they were like, no, that's too easy. So they want to get it all complicated and all weird, and they started teaching strange stuff. And one of the things that was taught was this. This is so weird, but, you know, they taught that your inner spirit man is holy because the Spirit of God lives there, and then your physical body has a sin nature. So the two are just not really together. So if you sin with your body, it's not going to really matter because your eternal spirit's still going to go to be with God. I mean, how stupid can you be and still breathe? But that's what they were teaching, and people were believing it. So anyway, that was the weird doctrines that were coming in, but then also, listen, Nicolaitans, Nico, Nike, was a Greek god. It means to rule over or to conquer. And so it's saying the Nicolaitans were those that ruled over the laity. They oppressively ruled over. God has called leadership to be humble servants, not oppressive dictators. Amen? So, but there are some, I haven't seen a lot of this, but I know that it's out there. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul said, keep watch over yourselves and the flock that God the Holy Spirit has made you overseers and be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So, here's the thing. There are some that have an oppressive, strange leadership, and these type of people do not need to be set under their ministry. I'm going to say this. I've seen where people that have been touched in revival. And I know some of them, and I love them, and it grieves me. But they've been touched in times past. But apparently, it didn't get past their emotions and deep down in them and change who they are because today, some of them are not living right. They're, they're out partying, they're out living in sin, and they're not right. They're, they're, listen, used to, they would have never watched the, and, and listened to the type of ungodly entertainment that now they're doing. But they've allowed stuff in. They, they had godly convictions at one time, but now they're backslid. And the things that they would have not participated in, now they're doing it. What happened? And there's even some out there, I haven't seen a lot of this, but there's some leaders out there that, man, their so-called freedom, and I say this in love, but they'll be out somewhere at Vegas gambling. You know, they're drinking their scotch, they're smoking their cigar, and then they're going to go in on Sunday and preach. I would never sit under that ministry. And if I saw them doing it, I would rebuke them. People probably get mad at me because I'd tell them. I was like, man, you know, you're going to do this and then go preach Sunday? I mean, what do your people think about that? Would it have, I mean, seriously, think about it for a minute. Do you think for a minute if I'm out here and I've got some Bud Light in my hand and smoking a cigarette that anybody's going to listen to anything I have to say? Let me tell you about Jesus. Uh, I drink my beer. and You really think anybody's going to respect me? When people see Christians, God needs to do a work in us where we are different. People can look at us and go, you know, I've known some people, maybe they weren't the real deal, but that guy... He knows God. He's different. There's something in him. That's what God wants in all of us, that we're salt and we're light and we're different. You know what that means? We're going to talk different. We're going to dress different. We're, the things we drink are different. And people are like, well, you know, I just, do you really, 
expect me to believe that there's not enough choices in America for you to drink something that you just have to have alcohol. Come on. Everywhere you go, you can get whatever you want. Okay? And all this stuff about all the smoking and the sin and all the things that are going on, the profanity. Listen, that was my past. God has touched me. He's changed me. I'm not going back to my past. I don't know about you, but I'm going on with Jesus. All right. So here we go. This is oppressive, strange leadership that's out there. Be careful about this because I'm talking about witchcraft in the church. Do you feel, and this is, there's some churches out there. These are just questions to think about. Maybe somebody hearing this, this is for you. But does your church make you feel that you cannot know the Bible for yourself and that you have to depend on leadership to know it? It reminds me of the Catholic church, doesn't it? Do you feel that you cannot have a personal relationship with Jesus? You know, I'm telling you now, as a pastor, not only can you have a personal relationship, you better have one. You need one. You need to know his voice. He said, my sheep hear me and know my voice. They're not going to follow another. You need to know the Bible for yourself. Does leadership curse or give over to Satan anyone who leaves? Now, that's in the Bible, so there probably is a place and time for that, obviously. But my goodness, it's not like every time somebody leaves church. That's just weird. Does your church teach that elitism like they're the only true church? And every other church out there is not of God. Are you forbidden from reading books, attending conferences, or connecting with others outside of your church service or circle, rather? Will leadership publicly humiliate you? Anyone that disagrees with the church or people that are, are not allowed to have their own opinion about anything. I've actually heard of this. It's really sad. Where say somebody didn't agree with something and so the leadership would just really humiliate them in front of the entire church. That's not the way to go about it. You go to them in private. Will they, are leadership destroying marriages? I've, I've, all this is rare. I haven't seen a lot of it, but I have heard of this where say the wife comes and she's in in this weird church and it's real like a cult and her husband doesn't like it. So they tell her to get a divorce, man, that is evil. God hates divorce. That's not something God's going to bless. Are people manipulated or taken advantage of in their giving? Does every personal decision, where you live, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, etc., does everything have to be approved by leadership? Man, that is weird. Who would even want to keep up with that? <laughs> Checklist. Where was everybody at today? What all did you do? Who all did you talk to? What did you eat today? You know, it's like, who cares? Man, or are you being controlled or to disconnect from your family because they don't believe like you? That's how cults operate, isn't it? Or do you feel totally terrified and scared to approach leadership and come talk to them? This is oppressive leadership, the type where you're dealing with like Jezebel's spirit and leadership. But people that have a, a rebellious streak in them, they're not going to like any leadership. <laughs> I'm not sure they caught that, but they won't, and they they will feel that every leadership is oppressive, you know. 
So, Lord, we pray tonight for your grace. In this area that we live with, with religious witchcraft being a stronghold and there being so much stuff where so much division and all this stuff going on, I'm asking you, Lord, for the grace for River of Life to be able to unify and stay unified. And, Lord, for the grace, and everybody's agreeing with me, that divisive people, Jezebels, things like that, will be purged and kept out in Jesus' name. Lord, let send forth your angels, you know, and clear that out. Keep that junk out of the church in Jesus' name. All Judases and Jezebels, Lord, just keep that out and let the same be a healthy place where we grow together in Jesus' name. Let there be unity in purpose. We thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. And here's what I want to say is we, we're going to pray for people, but let me just encourage everybody about this. Jesus is coming soon. And I believe that we're living in very prophetic times and the coming of the Lord is very near. I know the signs of the times. I know many of you do as well. And you can see that end time prophecy is coming to pass. And for the bride to be made ready, I've said this so many times, but Noah was a picture and type of the rapture. When the wrath of God was coming down, Noah and his family floated up. And then when the wrath of God subsided, they came back down. But Noah was a righteous man in a wicked generation. The people that the Lord is going to catch away, his bride are going to be a people that are righteous. Let's make sure that everything is right with God. If you've been having sex outside of marriage, ask God's forgiveness and repent. I'm telling you, repent. Get this stuff out. If you've had sin in your life. The second thing is, um, the Lord's coming for those that walk with him, that are that are. You read the story of Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He was intimate with God. He walked with him. And then he was just raptured out of the earth. He was just gone. He was a picture and type of those that are going to be ready. When the Lord comes, he's coming for a bride that is intimate with him, that knows him, that walks with him. I want to walk in his presence. I want to be driving in my vehicle down the road and feel his presence, his nearness, and be talking to him and him talking to me. I want to be like Enoch and walk with God. And the third one is, God is coming, Matthew 25, Jesus is coming for a a wise virgin. And the wise virgins had extra oil, like Elijah. Elijah, remember, was caught up out of here. But what Elijah was a picture and type of was people that were on fire for God, that, that were filled with extra oil. Elijah was a man of the anointing. And so just like Esther Um, this is the time for all of us. Every preacher needs this as much as anybody else that we need to be soaking in God's presence and let him fill us with extra oil. We need him to dig out of us the stuff that we need to repent of. We need him to come through and, and, and change our hearts and just fill us up. We need a fresh anointing on our lives. It's important. And so when we have these times here at the end when we pray for people or sometimes the Holy Spirit will move and we pray for people earlier but these are the times get prayer and just let god fill you up and keep filling you up and keep filling you up and lord i pray that for all of us in river of life help us lord to be righteous lord if there's things in us holy spirit you said you would come or the bible says the holy spirit would come to convict the world of sin 
in regards to righteousness. So the Holy Spirit come and show us the stuff that needs to go and take it out of us. And secondly, the Lord's coming for those intimate with him. Lord, come and let us get to know you. Let us walk with you and be intimate with you. And thirdly, you're coming for a people filled with extra oil. So Lord, fill your people. Fill your people. Get us ready. Help us, Lord, to be a people that, that are about right now the end time harvest coming in, the Spirit of God being poured out on all flesh, and a bride made ready for your coming. Because those are the three things that I believe that the church needs to be about right now at the end of the age. Lord, let it come in Jesus' name. Touch your people in glory and power and strong anointing. Whew.